Welcome. W I N I F R E D. The podcast. The acronym stands for writing, inspiring, notably, intentionally for readers everywhere to discover. Okay, I am not going to do a you know intro i'm just gonna let it play shout out uh to my friend over at king wanting wavebrush one of his uh things that he says all the time is i'm not gonna over talk it i'm not gonna over talk it so listen i'm not gonna over talk it let's get into the episode up everybody welcome to another episode of the podcast i have a really amazing guest all my guests are amazing um but i have another amazing guest with us today his name is jonathan polador hello and welcome to the show what's going on what's going on how you doing good evening let me say i am am blessed and honored to be here gracing your platform it is an honor it's a, pl- a privilege, and I can't wait to get it in with you. Oh, so kind. Such a kind start. Um, I actually was on Sean's uh, IG Live show. Um, he has the Sean P. Experience, um, which is always amazing. You know, I love tuning in, whoever's on there. So the Sean P. Experience, if you had to say... What are the expectations? Like when you're having your Sean P experience, what can the people expect to see? What makes like a Sean P experience? Well, in my opinion, first and foremost, my aim is for my guests to leave with something that's tangible that they can actually use. And my main background is education, right? So I always want to give information and knowledge that people might not be privy to and put it in the package to where it's not dry, it's still entertaining, it's still engaging, but always something that's actually useful. That's my aim. Mm-hmm. And you definitely do that. So on Instagram, which is where we first connected, because um, I like to let people know, because they always ask, where do you find these people? Where did you meet these people? So we connected on Instagram. And I will say, looking at your stories, I see a lot of books, um, probably more than anyone I've seen on Instagram ever. Like it's like another book, a new book, an ebook, hardcover or whatever. And it's just like books, books, books being slammed, bam, on, on floors. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like all of these books. And it'll be about like black history, black power, and just very educational um material. So if you had to say your favorite genre of book, what would that be? Because I'm curious, because I feel like there's usually like some kind of running theme with like Black history. Yeah, my favorite genre to read is absolutely hands down uh, African history, African-American history, uh, Black ju- uh, black studies, Africana studies, uh, social justice, biographies, autobiographies. But in that 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 breath of black history that's my bread and butter i love to learn the illustrious history of our amazing beautiful people and the 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 well is so deep i feel like it's a lifelong journey you can't learn any of this you never graduate out of this there is no summit to the mountain until you die out of this planet you're going to always be digging and studying because it's that much to uncover so what does one do with all of that information? Like, I feel like that's just so much going into the brain, going into the brain. It's like, it literally feels like every day you're posting a new book. Um, so, so is this just for you to gain wisdom and learn more about, you know, your own past or just the journey of Black people? Or is there something else to this like what is the reason um for the deep dive and just getting all this info like are you planning to like do you give it out to others you do drop plenty of gems 
yeah, on your IG lives and you know when you're talking about things in your stories oftentimes I'm just kind of like okay wow like that's something I didn't know so what is the master plan with you yeah. obtaining all this information well, well for me my family history is a line of educators and and pastors you know what I'm saying so I think my purpose in my journey is to teach and reach the masses. And I think that one of my gifts is people always say, man, you know so much, man, you're so smart, man, your memory is so big. But I think because I read with the intent of teaching others, mm -hmm. that's a whole different kind of reading versus just reading for yourself. Whenever I'm sitting there reading it, my mind already formulating, how would I explain this to an average lay person on the street? How would I explain this to a high school kid? So my notes and my highlights and my underlining and my tabs and my books, my mind is already geared toward teaching the masses. And also, I mean, I'm an author as well. So I plan on using a lot of this stuff when I'm writing my own books in the future and, and teaching and holding workshops and symposiums and speaking engagements, et cetera, et cetera. So it all has a purpose. It's never just uh, for nothing, right? Because knowledge not applied, that's a waste of time, man. Huh? It's a waste of time and waste of money if you don't plan on doing something with it. And yes, you mentioned that you are an author. You're a lot of things, a lot of things. And my apologies, because normally when I start the show, I ask the guests, like, if you were to walk into a room at a networking event, what would you say? Hi, my name is Jonathan Polador, and I am a X, 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 like what, how would you introduce yourself? Because you are a lot of things. Jonathan Polador, self-published author, public speaker, professor, husband, father, martial artist, athlete, uh, lifelong learner. Mm, mm, flex. If I had a horn, this would be the horn moment. I got you. <laughs> right, 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 right. We did the same sound. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. Okay, but you also served our country, correct? Yes, yes. Mil military veteran, four years, United States Navy, 23 countries traveled. I'm a part of actual naval history. The first person to ever raise the don't tread on me uh, flag in the world was myself <laughs> in Australia for 9-11. So yeah, that's that's facts. I learned something. That's a, that's a snapple fact. <laughs> not snapple we showing our age already we just a couple minutes in showing our age so that is a fantastic fact that i'm learning about you for the first time here on the show so what was that experience like how did you feel well you know how life goes like you know um they said most of these things are wasted on the youth right so whenever i did that i was about like 19 years old i was already having a rough naval journey at that point in my life out of high school so when the time came for the whole thing in australia like you know at this certain time you're gonna raise the flag and all that i didn't know the significance of it i wasn't aware at that moment i was the first person in the world raising this flag i just felt like i got called to go and do this duty thing at six in the morning mm -hmm. i didn't know what it was about they didn't tell me what it was about they didn't tell me what it was for it was almost like a part of our normal naval morning routines mm -hmm. and certain guys are selected to do certain things. We had a different flag before that morning. And I just happened to be the person that raised that flag that morning. As far as my perception, it wasn't until later on, my mom is emailing me from Louisiana. I'm in Australia and showing me like articles in newspapers and things all over the world showing it. And I'm like, wow. And this is this is this is dangerous. This is crazy, you know. That is fascinating. So, when you had to raise the flag, and forgive me because I've never been, you know, in any type of service role like that. So, did you ever wonder, like, why you had to do it, or it was just something like you given an order, you do it? That's just how it works. Yeah, yeah. As far as the military, and as far as the United States Navy in particular, I mean. On a naval vessel, at sunrise, a certain person goes out, raise the flag, 
they have what they call, uh, what's it called? Man, it's been so long. I've been out the military like almost 20 years, man. Oh, they call it colors, I believe. They got colors. Mm-hmm. They got the little, dee, 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 you know, the, the, the horns and whatnot. They playing the stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're around the ship whenever it's happening, you got to like, you know, stand at attention, salute the flag, uh, take your hat off if you're in civilian clothes, whatever. So these are everyday naval operations your whole time in the military anyway. So prior to that morning, I had did that morning routine countless times mm. up until that morning. So that particular morning is like, all right, you know, Sean, you're going to do this at six in the morning. Now, mind you, we in Australia mm-hmm. on deployment. So we're 19 years old, me and 15, 20 of my guys, we're going to the club all night. We're going shopping, you know, the homeboys drinking, whatever, whatever your thing is, your, pro- your pro- proclivity, whatever you partake in, we're doing that all night. So six in the morning for me, I mean, Lord knows, <laughs> I was never a morning person. I might have been clubbing all night. Who knows before that, before that moment? Hmm. Interesting. So, so let's go back a little bit. So your decision to become um, a part of the Navy, how was that decision made? You mentioned coming from a background um, of educators. Did you ever say, hey, I, I want to be a teacher. I want to be an educator. Like, what was the push to say? the Navy, like that's that's a big deal. They got a concept called the reluctant Messiah, right? I don't ever heard that before or not, but they was talking about like, you know, we all know in the Bible, Jesus, he didn't want to be Jesus. You know, Moses didn't want to be Moses. You know, a lot of these great people in the Bible didn't want to be who they ended up being, but it was like appointed upon them, right? Uh, even MLK, he want to be MLK. He was selected to be in that role, right? So when it comes to education, and spirituality, I spent 80% of my life probably running from that. My grandmother, long time educator, my mom, currently educator, my grandparents, my great grandparents, it's a long line of education in our family. And uh, I ran from that being a typical young black male in America, uh, a child of the 80s and the 90s. I wanted to play basketball, man. I'm big on basketball, big on hip hop, you know. I would say the typical young black male story. And uh, so yeah, when it comes to the military, people that don't know, the Navy, the Army, the Marines, all these armed forces, they have sport teams that travel around the world playing other countries and other places or whatever. So my thing being the basketball person my whole life, whenever high school came, the Navy recruiter came to me on the angle of playing for the United States Navy basketball team. So that was my way of playing basketball beyond high school, right? You know, I didn't have any college scholarships or nothing like that. So this seemed like a way to continue my my hoop dream, as they say. And uh, you know, it did it didn't pan out, but that's that's my story. So did you play? So were you you were playing basketball? You mean in in the military? Mm-hmm. No. So so how that story goes? Long story short, uh, we all know recruiters always lie to people. Right. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna say now. Recruiters, I know you, I know you HR. Recruiters lie to people. Ooh. And I'm being I'm being military specific. I ain't saying like job, but like military. You know, they, they gotta make quotas in mm-hmm. hindsight. So my recruiter actually recruited me. He courted me for two years. Right? Mm-hmm. He came to my house for two years and picked me up and talked to my mama and took me to these other cities to play in basketball tournaments playing basketball leagues, take mm-hmm. me out to eat. I mean, all this winding, dining, courting me stuff for two years to gain my trust. Then I graduated high school, like May 26th. I'm in boot camp, like June the 7th. Like, bam, in boot camp, right? And then you start to you start to realize real fast, like, everything this man told me was a fallacy. It wasn't what it was. So anyway, long story short, my, my military journey went off the rails real fast when I realized the man totally lied to me and a lot of promises that he made to me wasn't it wasn't what it was. Mm. So that's how a lot of my early military trouble started as an 18 year old person, not knowing how to handle being deceived and the emotions of that and everything that came along with that. And so I was acting out, I was lashing out, I was angry, chip on the shoulder, uh disobedient, uh always had uh subordinate conduct, getting write-ups, going in front of uh, the captain, you know, Captain Mass and all that. Just, th- just stayed in trouble, basically, most of my military journey. Hmm. 
but it started there. That that was the beginning of how that spiraled out of control. Mm. All right. Once you, so- the, once you get the once you get the bad boy label, it's like you got a toggle in your back, and now people are doing things to you on purpose mm-hmm. to get a reaction out of you. And being young and not knowing the game, you're kind of almost playing into their their trap. Like your your reaction to what they're doing made them point. Like, look, you see, I told you, I told you. See, see what he doing. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's the chess the chess match that I didn't know as an 18 year old kid out of a small town. It's interesting when I hear stories about um because I, I know a couple people who were in the military, different parts, different, you know, experiences, but they would tell me about the recruiter and how they sold them this dream. Um, I remember one person saying, yeah, they advertised it like it's one big party on a boat, you know, everybody having a good time, this and that. And, you know, these are, these are kids that they're talking to. So hearing that type of excitement, especially, you know, a kid that comes from a particular environment, um, that type of thing is like, wow, like I can get out of, you know, my hometown, I can do all these amazing things. Um, and it's a lot of a lot of lies, a lot of twisting and bending the truth and feeding into what they feel that people want to hear. Um, and it really it really be- breaks my heart to hear these kind of things because that's like robbing somebody of an opportunity to, you know, truly discover at that young of an age, you know, what they are truly interested in, and just kind of having that time to get to know self. Um, I mean, you can you can drive in any given city, and just look around slowly. Look at the amount of military veterans in your city, and look at what condition that they're in. You see these old guys at McDonald's early in the morning; they huddle together with their little, you know, veteran hat on their head, eating their little pancakes and whatnot. We see these guys for uh, Veterans Day, going get their free coffee and free breakfast get a little pat on the back. These guys then gave their life for the convenience of this country. Look at how we do our veterans, man. Like it's, it's disgusting, you know? Mm. Um, I had a, a, a woman on my podcast and uh, Jay-Z Luciano, and she's very, very so patriotic, um, you know, where she came from a line of, of people who, who served in the military and she just had such pride um and some people are just kind of with it you know they have it in their heart to serve they're very patriotic and then you have others that were kind of like you know bamboozled into signing up for something without true understanding and i gotta say it as a caveat right because i'm being transparent about my journey and my story but i can also tell you stories of guys that i went to high school with and they were able to do 20 years. And like, you know, I'm 41 years old now, right? If I would have did my whole 20, I could be a retired person already, getting a check, a full check every month for being a retired veteran, right? But that wasn't my story. So um, certain guys that I know, the military definitely saved their life from their situation and what they were doing and different things that could happen. So I would never tell a young person not to do it. I only give them the pros and cons of it in a truthful way. And let them make that choice. You know, I got some guys I mentor right now in the military and proud of those guys. And, and they're doing wonderful, beautiful things in the military. I'm proud of them. If you had an opportunity, like if you could do it all over again, and at that at that very moment where you had the chance to make a decision, would you say I would still go through it, through with it, or would you say, nah? <laughs> This is how God, God the greatest comedian, right? God funnier than Kevin Hart, God funnier than Chris Rock, right? Like, we know it takes the test for the testimony, right? So had I not gone to the military, the most incredible people I met in my life was in the military, in those trying situations. They're lifelong brothers and sisters to this day. Those people helped shape my life incredibly. Mm-hmm. They helped broaden my perspective amazingly. Meeting people from the Midwest and the East Coast and being in California, being in Chicago, like these circumstances 
totally changed my worldview. And if I would have not gone to the military, I know for a fact I would not be the person, I wouldn't even be on this podcast right now. I wouldn't even be worthy of being interviewed right now. Like, interview me for what? The flavor and the zest of my life is all these situations. So if I had the uh, Doctor Strange, the, uh, the time stone to be able to rewind it back, <laughs> as much as I emotionally want to say that, I know the truth of the matter. And you know, in the military, I paid for my college, my college education, uh, associate degree, bachelor degree, master degree, all the GI Bill, you know, help pay for that. So, mm -hmm. so many things in my life I got to be grateful for out of that adversity. But it was definitely the worst four years of my life to this day. Mm. The worst four years stretch of my life was the military. All right. I never got in trouble before the military. I got nothing but trouble in the military. And I came home in 2004. I have not been in trouble since the military. Just that four-year stretch. So as far as like your mental health, did you seek counseling when you got out or during like? You know, it's funny. We're not that old, right? But it's like, you think about the buzzwords flying around social media right now and how much those conversations were not prevalent back then. Like, mm -hmm. in the middle of the stress of what I was going through racially and microaggressions at work and all these other kind of words, I didn't have a language for that 18, 19, 20 years old, 21 years old, right? So even whenever I call home to my parents try to explain to them what's going on, like, they can't help me across the world. What are they, they going to do for me across the world, literally? Mm -hmm. I'm literally in Singapore. I'm literally in Guatemala and Costa Rica dealing with these situations and they're way in Louisiana. You know, this is before they had Zoom, before FaceTime, before any of that. Mm -hmm. All I can do is get a little $20 phone card mm. and it only lasts a certain amount. You know, when you call internationally, that might be like 10 minutes of conversation. Who knows how, how the money transfer, you know, on the card. So mm -hmm. I'm only getting a letter, like actual written letters. And, and small phone calls to express what I'm going through. So once again, the friends I made that's so important to me to this day, they mm -hmm. were the ones that are literally there in the mud, as they say, as you're going through losing loved ones back at home, uh, relationship issues back at home, mm -hmm. the kind of troubles that happen, the financial troubles that happening. They're the ones that are literally there with you elbow to elbow. And that made those unbreakable uh, bonds, you know? And even my reading journey, Wendy, my reading journey I owe to the military. An old school guy I met in the military. That's how I started being avid, uh, avid reader on the books. See, you beat me to it. That was going to be my next question. I was going to ask, when did you become Mr. Well-Read? Um, <laughs> when did you start you know, reading so heavily, where did that come from? Because honestly, I'm gonna keep it real. It is, I'm going to say it's it's abnormal. Um, <laughs> it's very extreme. And I mean that in the best way. I think it's a beautiful thing. And maybe people read at that level, you know, just as much as you do, but they don't share it. And I feel like we probably had talked about it at some point, how like the black male presence, as far as, you know, bookstagram, as we like to uh, affectionately call it, or in any space, really, um, there are, you know, a few males that, that have a, a strong presence that share what they're reading and, you know, have book clubs, but it's not as many um, as women in that space. So tell me a little bit about this gentleman that puts you on. So back to the military once again, right? So for those that don't know, back then, this is 20 years ago, before social media and Wi-Fi and all that, right? So on a military vessel, whenever the ship leaves the port and we out in the middle of the ocean for weeks at a time, I always describe it as a floating jail, right? Now, of course, for me, fortunately, knock on some wood, I've never been to jail in my life, but whenever I try to imagine what jail is like, it gotta be like that. Like small, confined living conditions. Um, the food is most times horrible <laughs> at best. And besides your actual work, when you finally get off of work, all you can do really is work out, 
And that's how I became an avid fitness person too in the military. Uh, work out after work, uh, play basketball. Back then, watching DVDs, right? There was no streaming. Watch the same DVDs over and over again. You know, play cards with the homeboys, you know, shoot the breeze, right, as they say. So one day I was sitting down real bored, and the old school guy said, man, you look like you need something to do. And he passed me a book. I remember the exact book it was. And it was a fictional book, right? Thank God. And this was my first time reading a book front to back without being an assignment for school, without being made to do it. There was no reward for it. And I remember how I felt when I turned that last page of that book. Like, I felt so proud of myself. I felt so much joy and elation and a sense of completion. Like, wow, I just finished a, a novel. It felt like climbing a mountain or something to me. And so the guy kept on feeding me books, um, fictional books. Eric Jerome Dickey, um, Omar Tyree, uh, even Elin Harris, right? I think that, that's your guy, Elin Harris. Um, yes. <laughs> um, of course, back then, uh, Nikki Giovanni, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Nikki Turner, uh, Zane, of course, the queen of erotica, you know, all these things, but that got my appetite for reading. And so we finally came back to the port, you know, get off the ship. I was able to go to the bookstore on my own and buy my own books for my own money. And then that started a whole like 10 year journey of reading fiction. And then at a certain point, I started reading the more serious, what I read now kind of book. That's a whole different conversation. I'll leave it at that. I love it. Bless that man. Bless that man. That is, I always love when I hear stories like that, because in this day and age, I mean, it, it occurs, but the, the elders of then and the elders of now <laughs> are very different. Let me tell you the trick to the conversation, right? I think about it all the time because that was a very tricky moment. I was not a reader at all prior to that moment, right? I had to respect that man a certain way first. I had reverence and honor to that man already. We had rapport already, right? You know, that saying they have about um, you show a person that you care about them first before you give them something, right? You know, as far as knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of us, even myself, my hand is raised, it's always working on how do I approach this young person that's going to spark their mind, spark their interest, you know? And, and he was able to magically somehow do that. Now, mind you, my mom is a librarian in her background. When she was carrying me in her stomach, she was a librarian already. So my whole life, I was surrounded by books everywhere in the house. Hmm. I just wasn't reading them. So that man was able to do something that nobody else in my life was able to really do. That's amazing. That is amazing. That is absolutely just, I don't know, that, that sparked something in me because that's really cool. I mean, it's, it just goes to show you that, you know, it has a lot to do with timing, um, destiny, like just because you're around something all the time and, you know, have whatever <laughs> going on at home doesn't necessarily mean you're going to just fall in line. Sometimes yeah. it takes a very unique, um, special experience to bring you to a certain place. And let me let me add to that real quick, if I, if I may. Right. Because I'm a parent of three kids. Mm -hmm. So people think like um, like it's by osmosis or something like that. Right. Which makes no sense to me, really. But they think because I have so many books at my house. They figure that my kids love to read. It's not a direct correlation like that. It's not that easy. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like to my kids, that's something that I do. Like he does that. Sean does that. That's the way in which they see it. It's almost like if a person's dad is a dentist and you expect them to have like no cavities, like <laughs> it don't go together. Just because your dad is a dentist don't mean that you care about your teeth like that. You know what I'm saying? Like. People assume that though. Your dad is a pastor. Your dad is a teacher. Your dad is a this. Your dad is a that. He a mechanic. You can't change the tire. Like I don't care about cars. That's my daddy's thing. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I get off of that. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, when I think back about my journey and, and falling in love with books, um, you know, my dad was very passionate about reading, and he was always buying me 
books from the garage sale, most random dollar book you could find. Didn't he, he didn't know what was in the book. It wasn't even age appropriate, but for whatever reason, he'd be giving me these Fabio books. Like, hey, I found this at the garage sale. Here you go. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll read that. And it was just something that, although he always encouraged me to read and he was like very vocal about, you know, how important and reading was, it was something that I enjoyed by myself. Like I would just go to my little corner or go into my room and just have, like I was literally in my room by myself a lot. And I would just be in there reading. Um, and it brought me so much joy and being in school, you know, the teacher is like, oh, come and sit pretzel style. All the kids are moaning and groaning, like, oh, here we go, boring story time. And I'm like excited, I'm in the front, you know, just hanging on to every word. Um, it's very interesting, but when I think of what did I ever see my father actually read, it was just the Bible um, and maybe like one other book. <laughs> I've never, I mean, he didn't have like a book collection or anything like that, honestly. I feel like he probably had two books in his room like throughout the whole time in my life uh, with him. So it's, it's just so fascinating, but he was just so adamant about reading, 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 reading for you. <laughs> um, but I respect it and uh, I love him for it. So we're going to switch gears, sort of. So passionate about reading, Mr. Well-Read, and then boom, 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 you become an author. So there are people who love to read and never write a single book. Um, so the two don't necessarily have to go together. But you, sir, have written some things. So can you bring us to your first book and the decision to say, okay, I'm going to be more than just an avid reader. I'm going to be an author myself. Well, I'm sitting here right now, literally looking at the book in front of me as you're talking. In December marks the uh, five-year anniversary of What's Your Kick? the guy to unlocking your passion, right? Mm -hmm. um, I felt so pushed to write this book whenever, at that time, five years ago, but to this day, I see so many people I talk to and meet that don't have a drive in their life. They don't have an aspiration. They don't have a dream. They just go to work, clock in, clock out, get a little food for the family, watch a little Netflix, go to sleep, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. It's just this mundane, humdrum life. And it's like, I really believe we all have a gift, a skill, a talent to be nurtured and cultivated to be used for the greater good of humanity once again, not just for yourself, but like we can use your skill, whatever that is, we need that, right? So that really pushed me and compelled me to say, all right, Sean, you read all of these books. You've gathered all of this knowledge. What are you going to do with it once again? So that got me to sit down with the laptop and really uh, put the work in, put the time in. At the time in my life, I didn't know any other authors really, not too much. And nobody in my direct vicinity, for sure, right? And uh, it was really like trial by error, like just really fumble your way through it. It was really just trying to figure out. I didn't know... I didn't know a tenth of what I know now about books when I did my first book. Huh. Huh. Very interesting. So what's your kick? Um, since we're on this, this topic here, first, I'm going to read, you know, the description here as I see it on Amazon. Um, <clears throat> we are all born with a unique gift or skill. But in this crazy world, it can be easy to be pulled into a thousand directions. What's Your Kick is a self-help book designed to help the reader learn how to cut out the distractions and narrow down what they really want to do. Mm. So what is your kick? That title, I'm wondering, kick, right? I wish everybody here could see the cover. You guys can look it up on Amazon. Um, it'll be there. But you have this person kind of doing a, a hi-ya, as I would like to call it, move. What made you say, what's your kick? You know what I mean? You could have said that in so many different ways to describe yeah. what you're talking about. Why was it kick? Here we go. So I have a, a, a deep martial art 
love and background. I would probably say my first love in my life, beyond my mama, of course, was martial arts. Anything else, I was a martial art fanatic. You know, you know, early 80s, Kung Fu Theater, Bruce Lee, of course, Van Damme, you name the whole pantheon, right? So there's this real famous Bruce Lee quote when he said, I fear not the man that practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the man that practices one kick 10,000 times. Mm. And that was real profound to me because we live in a time right now where, you know, people want to be serial entrepreneurs, right? As a matter of fact, the main ones they have flag about my book, they are serial entrepreneurs. You want to have a cupcake company and you're an author and you have a CD company and you got a t-shirt business and you have a hair salon and you do something else, right? Mm -hmm. So you're mediocre at like seven different things, but you're not necessarily great at any of them. Mm. To me, what's the point in living a life like that? Well, you can take so much more energy and resources and as they say, drill down on one particular thing and get like really damn good at that, right? So, you know, in the old days, Winnie, <clears throat> it's a word we barely ever hear anymore on social media apprenticeship mm. the only apprentice i ever hear lately was the tv show they had back in the donald trump right the apprentice well but you don't hear the apprentice anymore as far as everyday life back in the days when i do studying history back to studying you might be an apprentice for seven to ten years under a blacksmith under a carpenter under a butcher or whatever the, the skill is right seven to ten years of like an internship mm -hmm. until you finally are able to be deemed the master at this to go off and do it on your own for a living. Mm. How many folks just watch a couple of YouTube videos, couple of Snapchat, TikToks? You know what? I'm a chef. Ooh. You know what? I'm a model. Right. You know so what? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a speaker. You know what? I'm a whatever. Like you don't put no 10,000 hours in. That's a whole different topic. The 10,000 hours to master a craft you put like an hour and a half on YouTube and think you the master? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> you said that with your chest. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a quotable right there. I'm gonna go ahead and post that tonight. <laughs> you spend an hour and a half on YouTube and think you the master? Mm. On, but hold on, hold on, hold on, because in today's time, right? So many people often feel like Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so we finna get on this YouTube and well, we finna watch a couple videos and then we're gonna finesse our way well, okay, um, and shimmy around and make the people believe. It, it, they're putting more into the ability to make people believe than yes. actually learning the yes. skills. And, and, and that's why for so many people we see in our generation, so many social media stars and moguls and gurus, they rise and fall left and right. So many social media pastors, all these folks come and go left and right, right? Because it don't stand the test of time, will it? You know that real good cast iron pot your mama and them had, your grandmama had? It might have been in the family a hundred something years, that same cast iron skillet. They've had so many seasonings in that skillet, so many flavors in that skillet. Whenever you cook anything in there, it's bound to be better than putting it in the microwave. Mm -hmm. It's bound to be, it's tried and true. There's been 10,000 hours, first of all, to even craft that cast iron skillet. Second of all, what your grandmama never did with that skillet. Mm -hmm. You can't microwave the process, people. And that's a large part of my book is about discipline and mentorship and learning how to be up under somebody's tutelage, you can't replace that. And me being the person I am being real physical, I love taking on physical challenges, right? And I think if you're a real physical person, what I'm saying makes more sense because guess what? I can YouTube how to rock climb for months. When I go to an actual rock wall to apply this, it get real different real fast. Hey, mic drop. <laughs> Ah, um, so I'm going to read one review. Um, you have many, um, but this one I'm just going to read is from this year. It is a verified purchase, ladies and gentlemen. And it says, inspirational. 
That's the title of the review. I loved this book. It gives very wonderful and applicable advice on how to make better goals, achieve them quicker, and sustain their results in a very practical, no-nonsense way. Sean is a very positive and uplifting individual, which makes this book ring true on a deeper level. Highly recommended. Mm. Well, well, well. Oh, this been five years, right? <laughs> I had not even seen that review because like when the book first came for, for all the, the first time authors, when the book first came out, I was hawking my reviews daily. I was chasing down folks to get a review. Um, I was checking my little, uh, my little, you know, the little dashboards you get, you can see the sales <laughs> and projections. And on Wednesday, I sold three and Tuesday, I sold one, you know, all this stuff. But as time went by, it's like, you know, I stopped tracking all that stuff. So I, I hadn't even heard that review till you just said. I appreciate that in, in real time. Like, wow, that's that's incredible. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so you have this awesome book, What's Your Kick? But you've written other books. So, you know, I'm going to include the links and everything so that everybody can go on, check you out, check your social media page, check your author page and all the amazing things. But um, so the link in your bio, right? I'm on your link tree. And we have one, two, three, four, five. And I hate asking people, you know, well, what's your favorite piece of work that you've created? Because that's such a hard thing, you know? It's like asking your favorite child. And it's just like, I love them all for, for different reasons. Um, but I am gonna ask you the annoying question of, is there one uh, of the five that is just truly like, yeah. your heart or is it an equal love no nah, no nah. i mean we all got our own personal biases right but i told you that about the ten thousand hours to master a craft right mm -hmm. so i told you earlier that my first book i was just fumbling through the process i didn't know about copyright i didn't know about the isbn number i didn't know about formatting and layouts and all this stuff we're just trying to you know get it out trial by error so my last book is called the anatomy of a book so I think out of 10,000 hours, I might have had about 3,500 by that point. Put it like that, right? Mm. I'm still working on 10,000. But I think that that particular work is more sharp. It's more crisp. Uh, the images, the formatting, the layout. Um, in all of my books, I try to include what I call my super friends, right? Because I've been blessed. I got some incredible people in my circle. So I try to get a person in my circle that never wrote before in their life. Mm -hmm. to be their first time being published in one of my books. It remind you of Russell Simmons of Deaf Comedy Jam, and he used the platform to give all these comedians a place to break, you know, into the industry, and not all these folks are names within themselves, right? But they got broken on Deaf Comedy Jam. So in my books, a lot of my friends do the introduction, the afterword, the foreword, the prologue. Those are all my friends in my circle, in my family that I'm given a chance to say something. Mm. They, they got something to say. So, um, but anyway, so Anatomy of a Book, that's my last latest project, and I feel real proud about it. I'm excited about that project, and I think you'll be you'll even enjoy it. Anybody would enjoy it. So, what is your ultimate author dream or speaker dream? Like what? <sighs> is the big and i mean we grow and we change and then we want different things and we evolve but if you had to say right now the big thing that you're just like ah this is what i want this is what this journey is about okay what is that for you i do the author side first and then the speaking thing right because i got both of them so the author thing going into writing what's your kick for those that don't know what's your kick is about 152 pages give or take um so I write smaller projects because a lot of my books are written for people that are not avid readers, right? So this, I always say this joke, Winnie. Mm -hmm. I write books that I would never buy. And I say that because the books that I buy are real big. The book I got in front of me right now is like 900 pages. W.E.B. Du Bois, Black Reconstruction in America. It's like 800 something pages, right? So mm -hmm. I couldn't write a book like that because that would scare off a would-be reader. So most of my projects I write, 
They're meant to be short, quick hitting books. But my ultimate goal is to write a book that's about 500, 400 something pages, you know, heavy on a scholarship, footnotes, bibliography, like real, real heavy with it, you know. But I had to write these smaller books first to gain my audience's trust, that like, no trust concept. Get them to like me, get them to know me, get them to trust me before I can go and do a large project like that, a large undertaking. That's my author dream. When it comes to public speaking, because I am a 15-year public speaker, uh, schools, churches, jails, outside in the rain, inside in a small venue with no AC, you name a dynamic, I've probably been through it already. Um, I have a list of venues I want to speak at at one point. So um, here in Louisiana, where I live at, is the Cajun Dome. It's a big old huge arena. I want to speak there. Then, of course, you got the Superdome. It's even bigger than that, right? And then, of course, you got, you know, certain monumental stadiums across the country. I want to speak in Madison Square Garden. I want to be in Chicago United Center. I want to be in the Staples Center in Los Angeles, you know, all these venues. If I can do that, that that would have made my my bucket list of items. I love that. I love that. I always love, you know, when people have those details. You know, it's it's one thing to say, oh, I just want to speak at all the biggest, popular, you know, places all across the world. But when people can actually call them out by name, like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. You know what else too, Winnie? I'm, I'm gonna tell this to the. I'm always transparent with the viewership, right? Because people assume when they see me and hear me talking that I'm always winning. Sean P just succeeds, right? But one of my dreams as a speaker is to be a, a TED a TED Talk speaker. Because I feel like as a speaker, once that TED Talk is on your resume, your ability to charge more for speaking engagements goes up exponentially. Because mm-hmm. in a speaking world, TED Talk is kind of like the Super Bowl or the NBA championship or, you know, or the World Series. TED Talk is a big deal in, in the world of uh, being a public speaker. So they've had TEDx events in my local area a couple of years ago. I applied for it like more than once. I was unfortunately denied more than once, but you got to try right? Definitely. That's that's the name of the game. Um, I know one person and I shout him out often. He was one of the first people to ever do my podcast. Ty Allen Jackson, who listens to the show. Hey, Ty. Um, but he's done, you know, a couple TED Talks. And, you know, it's it's really amazing. It's really amazing. I always wonder what it's like. Because like you said, like, that's just one of those things that carry so much weight. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be even a trained speaker. As far yeah. as I've been hearing, a lot of people get on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they just have their for whatever reason. Um, well, you know, when you apply for it, if you've done it before or not, um, you get a list, like a category or whatever, mm-hmm. and you kind of sort of make a pitch to whoever it is, to whatever the governing body is, and they make their choices of who have the best pitch or whatever it might be. Or sometimes, of course, politics is involved, you know, they got their favorites already or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I've heard from the inside how that goes for a selection process. Uh, a few of my friends have done it and I'm proud of them for doing it. And they did it like years ago, right? Mm-hmm. But they still, of course, use that for their promo, like on their social media pages. Yeah. They, still, they still got that video in rotation. They got all those photographs with Ted, Ted talk behind them in the background. That's what I wanted more than anything. Matter of fact, you know what? I don't need no Ted talk with it. How about this? <laughs> I just need to be on the stage with the picture, the thing in the background. Give me a selfie with that, and I'm good with that. Listen. So that, that's real specific. I don't need a TEDx talk, Lord. Don't, don't do that. Be, I just need to be on, on the stage with the sign. Of, you know what? I'm gonna go, how about this, Wendy? I'm going to go on Vista Print. I'm going to print my own TED talk <laughs> banner. I'm going to get me a place and set it up in the background. Take me some good, good pictures, and there we have it. That just happened on, on your show, Winnie, real time. Uh, we do not encourage fraud. We're not, we're not, going, we're not doing that? <laughs> we're not doing that on this platform. That's funny, though. Don't take um, it out. Don't take it out. Don't take it out. Don't take it out. a little bit podcast. We do not encourage fraud. <laughs> um, but no, I feel you, though, because it it makes it makes a difference. And it's, it's pretty amazing how much of a difference it can make. It's, it's funny because one of my friends, um, shout out to Stephanie, 
she is a baker um, and she does all kinds of amazing stuff with um, creating art that goes on top of these like really beautiful cakes. Um, and she was featured in Martha Stewart, Stewart's magazine. Um, she was in an article, her work was featured and I'm like, girl, that is like a lifetime shout out. Everywhere I go, I would be saying, oh, you know, I was in Martha Stewart's magazine. Like that is a lifetime thing. Um, and there are certain brands or organizations or whatever. I would say, unfortunately, this world is made on smoke and mirrors, right? Back to the whole social media gurus and all that, right? And make it even easier than what it even was before. So you, you're the HR expert. This, this is funny, right? So I tell people all the time, all the jobs, I, no, not jobs, but all the times I get hired for something, mm-hmm. nobody ever said, what school you went to? What grades you made? What was your GPA? Nobody ever says, who you certified with? They only know they see my fitness videos. Okay, come and train me. Give me a meal program. Give me a workout program. Mm-hmm. They never ask who I'm certified with. They only see me doing public speaking. They never said, man, you you were uh, Eric Thomas certified speaker. You were... um." What's your boy's name is? I buy them. Oh, John Maxwell. Are you a John Maxwell certified speaker? Nobody ever asked that Toastmasters question. Toastmasters or whatever. Toastmasters. Man, I got friends of mine. They have been years in Toastmasters, right? Mm-hmm. I have done more paid speaking gigs than any of them. Mm. And I have never been in Toastmasters in my life, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying how your know-how and your skill set versus the smoke and mirrors is, is real, real tricky conversation, man. It is a tricky conversation. Real tricky conversation. It's fascinating. Um, so, okay, so we have author, we have speaker. Um, very, very interesting. You know, you served in the Navy. Um, but you're also a very, like if I didn't ever interact with you and somebody was describing you by these things, like in my mind, I would be like, okay, you know, I'd probably be picturing someone <laughs> and there's no shade to anybody. That's probably like kind of dry. Like, you know, we're just going to talk about books and only books. And that's all we're going to talk about ever. Um, but you're actually a very colorful, I will say, individual, you know, very funny, um, a jokester. You eat freaking a Waffle House, um, which <laughs> I think is so gross, but I need a just... poll on the Winterfoot <laughs> podcast. I need a poll on who eats Waffle House and what's your favorite Waffle House dish? Cause when it always climb my Waffle House, we're gonna show her what time it is. <laughs> It's still of you in the South. Oh my goodness. So what is something? So so, 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 so your point, right? This is good. Because you mentioned at the top of this podcast about being a black man reading books, right? And I always tell people one of my main goals is to make young black men see this whole reading scholarship thing could be cool. I still got my swag. I still love hip hop. I still love going out from time to time. I still play basketball like Whatever the average, I want to say, stereotypical male do, I engage in a lot of these activities. I just happen to read a load of books too, right? So we can discuss we can discuss W.E.B. Du Bois and Frederick Douglass, or we can discuss Nas, Jay-Z, and J. Cole. However you want to do it. We can do it. Mm. I love comedy. I love food. I love going out, like, you know, but... I think because of my subject matter being more serious in my content, people assume that I'm a very, very serious person. I am goofy as hell. I'm the main person that we're making jokes. I'm the main person in the mall causing the scene. I don't mind being the butt of my own jokes. Like, that's my lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, like I'm, I'm not what people perceive me to be. It's all about layers. I think it's, it's beautiful yeah. when people can show all the different sides of themselves. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to just be Mr. Well-read. Like you don't just have to be this veteran. You know what I mean? Like you can be a whole lot of things. You're a let's, whole person let's, and let's, you share let's that tease, with everyone. Let's tease that out a little bit, right? I always talk about the genius of comedians. Cat Williams is clearly a brilliant man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Chappelle, mama's a freaking PhD. That's who raised Dave Chappelle. Right? Chris Rock is a brilliant man. 
Steve Harvey clearly is a brilliant man, right? We can go down the line of all these guys that made their life off of being funny and being crazy. And these guys are brilliant guys. So I don't know where the perception came from, like, because you read so much, you're so smart. You got to be dry and boring. When the funniest guys in the country are smart as hell. Mm-hmm. And that makes no sense together. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think it comes from maybe like the old way of how things were at a time. Like if you're in this industry, you can't be caught out there, you know, fooling around. <laughs> can't bring, you know, shame to your family if you out there engaging in this, that, and the third when you're supposed to be this quote unquote like upstanding um, individual. And if you're going to be a teacher, well, you got to have a certain, you know, way that you carry yourself. But now, especially with social media and just the way people are, huh. I will say freer to where. I, I, I didn't mention it yet in my, in my catalog, I guess. Right. But me being a college professor, all of my students love my class the most because I cut up the most. I'm, before they, when, when they walk into the classroom, Winnie, I'm playing music on YouTube. I'm playing whatever the latest music. We, we, we rocking and playing the music. When they come into the classroom, I'm setting the tone when you come in the door. I'm showing you videos of things that's relevant to the times, whatever you're watching on Netflix and Hulu or whatever. I'm showing you things relevant to what your time is. I'm being funny. I got jokes. Like That's what made my class learn more in my class. It's hard to learn when you feel real stressed and like pins and needles. I can't mess up. You know what I'm saying? Like my class is like, man, it's, it's lax. And they learn more in my class. I love it. Yeah, when I think back to some of my favorite teachers, it were it was the teachers that took the time to, you know, tap in with the, with the youth that connected with us on another level that drew us into, you know, the bigger picture of what they're really teaching. But it was just a special level of engagement that we had. I told you earlier, you got to show a person you care about them first before you give them something. hmm hmm you know? So I totally love it. All right, well, this has been a lot of fun. So we're kind of coming down to the close. We're kind of getting into, <laughs> into that hour. Um, so what is something that you feel you want our listeners today to take away from this episode? Like, what do you want them to really know about you? Besides, of course, um, all the amazing things that you've done and the books that they can buy. What is something about you, the person, that you want them to take away? Me as a person? Mm -hmm. I I, I would say this. We're coming into a new year. I would say, for all of us, try to find something you have absolutely no idea how to do could be something big, could be something small. And then like walk yourself through getting proficient at it. I didn't say be the master. I didn't say be the best in your city. Just to where you're decent at it and see what you learn about yourself in that process. Like, are you teachable? Are you coachable? Are you too prideful to ask for help? Look, they got something called a teachability index, right? That's in my actual first book. Are you willing to pay for help? Are you willing to pay for a course? Are you willing to travel to go and learn out of your, out of your city? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you patient with yourself when you're in that stumbling, fumbling phase? Or do you get frustrated and flustered real fast? Now, all these things show you who you are as you're doing the process. So I'm currently doing the process like that myself. And that's the newest thing about myself in this moment is that process. Mm. Wow. I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, before we end, you know, towards the end of the podcast episodes, I usually play a little game or do something a little goofy with my guests just to kind of, you know, shift shift gears at the end. Um, So you mentioned Louisiana a lot. Louisiana, Louisiana. Um, The state cuisine is gumbo. So tell us what would be in your gumbo because you you cook. That's another thing. 
the wild thing is, um, and so I want to know your what's your what's your special Jonathan Pulador experience gumbo recipe? <laughs> no, this 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 is actually a funny topic, right? Because but from because I'm from Louisiana, people always think that traditional Louisiana cuisine is like, oh man, you got to try this. But like I think because I was in the military for a while, and I lived in other states for a long time. When I finally came back home, like, I'm not really big on gumbo anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really big on crawfish. I'm not really big on things that you think about Louisiana, traditional cuisine. I'm not really big on those things. My family always teased me about that, clown me about that. But if, 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 if it's going to be a gumbo, I prefer a chicken and sausage gumbo. That's what I prefer. Interesting. Interesting. So do you use the dipping bread in your gumbo? I heard that's a thing. Are you just like, nah? Well, some folks like cornbread. See, it's another thing. I'm not really big on cornbread, which is crazy, uh, right? So, so my grandmother, rest in peace, makes phenomenal cornbread my whole time growing up in that household. My grandfather has amazing cornbread. You know, I was around it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know why it never, it never, it never hit for me like that. I don't, I don't know. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a tricky question. Tricky. Interesting. Tricky, tricky. But yet you will indulge <laughs> in Waffle House, in Denny's, bust it up. in Denny's. Bust it. bust it up every time. <laughs> yeah, so so for the, for the listeners, one of my newest journeys since the pandemic started, you know, lockdown and all that, I told myself to stay sane. I'm going to learn some new skills. So I started binging all of these food shows and everything like that and then challenging myself try to recreate different food I was seeing and then you know over over time you know, it's been almost what three years of pandemic two and a half years whatever mm-hmm. I've done more and more and more uh in the kitchen to where I feel pretty decently proficient around the kitchen now so it's like weekly challenging myself to make a new dish try a new dish you know push myself so that, that comes with the territory of, you know, just trying different flavors and seasonings and oils and different things you never tried before, just branching out, you know, trying to widen the palate in life and in, in the kitchen. That sounds like a, another book. <laughs> Wide, widen the palate? Yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. What's your kick to widen the palate? <laughs> Got a ring to it. I love it. Well, take the floor. Let everyone know uh, how they can get in contact with you, okay. follow you, buy your stuff. Tell us all the yeah. good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, most man, thank you so, so much, Winnie. I, I appreciated this show. Uh, it's been about three years in the making. <laughs> three years. Finally, <laughs> we finally got it nailed down. We finally got an official date set up and official emails and all that exchanged. And I had a, way, a wonderful time on your show, seriously. And I would hope to get a chance to come back again in the future in 23, you know, on, on a different topic. And um, so to find me, it's simple. My name is Jonathan Polador on all my social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You can find me there uh, easily. Uh, Amazon, the same. Jonathan Polador. All five of the books are there for purchase. Of course, come to me directly for a copy of What's Your Kick in paperback. I'll give you an autographed copy. I love doing that. And yeah, that's, that's the main thing, man. My my Instagram, my, my main platform is Instagram. I'm on Instagram pretty much almost nightly. I'm going to do one in a little while after this interview. I give live videos about movies, TV shows, books, and just break down different things for average, everyday people that they might not see in these shows and connect it back to information we can use, connect these movies back to the books and make it more enjoyable. So yeah. As that yeah you definitely have a lot of great features um on your ig live shows you know great variety of guests and even when you're doing solos and you're you're teaching or just giving your opinion on maybe something you've watched um it's definitely a good time and i think people will definitely enjoy it so thank you so yes so winnie the weekend movie is avatar <laughs> are you going to see it now, I'm not going to lie to you, Sean. You don't like Waffle House and you're not going to see Avatar? <laughs> are y'all hearing this? Are your viewers, are your listeners hearing this? Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I believe I saw 
the other avatar, whatever. But it wasn't something that I, I think it was more of a visually stimulating piece versus, I don't even remember anything about it outside of know, it being visually stimulating. If you get past the uh, the blue people and the flying dragons and the whatever, whatever, it's really a story about a people of color, hint, hint. <laughs> They're indigenous to their land, hint, hint. They're in tune with nature and the trees and the animal wildlife and all of that. And then the colonizers come, hint, hint, and try to raid their land for resources for their own gain, meanwhile destroying said land that wasn't even theirs, hint, hint. This whole thing sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Uh-huh, a lot of hint, that's, hint, That's the real story of Avatar. Huh. What? Beyond the smoke and the mirrors and the graphics and the beyond all of that. You got to look beyond the veil, you know what I'm saying? I think if I see it now, and I, I think this is good homework for me to do, um, is to go back and watch because that when that first one, I don't even how, know how many they've been, but I feel like I was well, in high this, this number two. It's been 20 years since the first one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Way back then I wasn't checking for no deep meaning. I was just like, ooh, it's blue people. So and that's why I do my videos, I do because I know the average everyday person. Mm -hmm. There's a quote, but I won't say it on your platform because you told me a little disclaimer before we started. Anyway. The average everyday person uh -huh. just watches things casually. They play music casually. They experience life casually. And so many things are right there in your face in plain sight. Mm. You just look. Mm. So my videos are about giving you some glasses to adjust your perspective. Woo. So Avatar Part 2, once again, see I said in the beginning, I read book with the intent on teaching, right? I watch movies with the intent on doing a video about it. I'm not just watching Woman King and Wakanda forever just for, for fun and laughs. I'm watching it with a more a keen eye than the average person sitting there watching. Man, listen. We definitely gonna have to do another episode because I didn't even get in into you and your mm -hmm. freaking tabs in the books. This Ooh. man is not just speed reading to be like, check, I read this book. This man has tabs tabs on pages after pages like the whole book is literally tab 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 it's like it is out of this world so we're gonna have to definitely come back and and talk yeah, about man you that. always you always got me on deck on speed dial man you want to do a show again just let me know time and date uh hopefully it's not three years again and uh <laughs> I'll see y'all in 2026. <laughs> oh, you got jokes. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Yeah, sure. Um, I enjoyed it. This is fun, for real. Me too. Thank you so much and enjoy the Thank rest of the evening. Thank y'all very much. Been a blessing. And that is it for the episode. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for continuing to listen in and not just support me, but support my amazing guests. Um, right now, as I'm recording this, it's actually Christmas Day. So we are only days away from 2023. I got some more exciting stuff in store for the new year. I'm going to get back to doing some solos and I have some big interviews coming, like big, big, big. <laughs> um, so happy holidays if you're into that and I will talk to you guys soon. Take care.